Welcome back, everybody, to the Bar Talk podcast at the Relief and Resource Company in Fenton, Michigan. Frigid, freezing, demoralizing outside Fenton, Michigan. Uh, I'm your host, John Foley, uh, coming to you live from Relief and Resource Co. with my co-host, Mark Miller. Oh, booms. Yeah. And we're talking about gin. And uh, this is gin part one. Uh, We're going to focus on London Dry and the history of gin and then pack in all the new aromatic and botanical gins uh that everybody is so so hip about crazy right now hip and jive. Yeah, yeah 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 uh just you know just next time you make my drink make sure it's real fresh and put a whole plant in there uh, i don't care there's a whole yeah. cucumber yeah and it really do root to glass so it's the dirt <laughs> and then the gin that seems like a really unnecessary garnish. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to do this again. Part one is uh, London Dry and the History of Gin and um, saving the botanicals for the future. Also, thank you for tuning into iLogic Media, our uh, media production company. Check out their other content. On, um, is it just on the streaming services now or they're existing? Uh, there's uh, YouTube, iLogicMedia.com. Which uh, is going to be Spotify. less. Yeah, okay. All right. Apple Podcasts, all that fun stuff. Yeah. All right. Cool. So definitely go to that. We're going to end with a cocktail. We are. Yes. And we'll talk yes. about that for a little bit. And yeah. yeah. So why don't we um, why don't we dive in, Booms? And you've got you've got the research. I've got some history to talk to you about, you guys. I've got some history uh, specifically in Belgium to start with. So over there in Belgium, uh, we're going to have the earliest, uh, I guess you might say, grandfather to gin. And it's called Yennever or um, Geneva. But I think I'm going to go with Yennevere because that's how I uh, heard it pronounced in Amsterdam. Um, I which, first heard it by an American person where they just called it Jennifer. <laughs> Jennifer. Yeah. So I've been calling Not it Jennifer my whole entire yeah. career. <laughs> One of the things is if it sounds like Jennifer, you're probably close. Yeah. 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 Pretty close. I can see that. So it was originally uh, distilled from malt wine. It sounds like Jennifer F. Jennifer after you've had a lot of it. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I, Give me some more Jennifer. I've, I've <laughs> four Jennifers and just a beer. It's a little beer. <laughs> Anyway, it is distilled from malt wine, this lovely Belgian spirit. Um, it's distilled to about 40 to 50% ABV, which is very strong in the 16th century. So you might understand it becomes incredibly popular. Um, a lot of times it's described as tasting like a cross between whiskey and gin because of the sweetness from the malt. Um, and then you also have uh, a really high level of medicinal bitterness because it did start off just like Alcovite is the kind of source for, for trying to prolong your life is a very um, interesting medical uh, spirit generally, right? before we get into the dubious um that kind of dubious assumption that it will extend your life at all <laughs> what about but, but malt wine though uh is, are they literally just calling that it that because it's made from malted barley it is made from and it's just barley. stronger it's kind of what we might imagine lees to be closer to right the, the heads and the tails of the distillation mm-hmm. process we kind of sometimes think about in uh earliest spirits. so are they literally making something else and this is runoff Yes, exactly. And then they would sweeten it. They'd oversweeten it, actually, to the point that we would really consider a liqueur to be like, mm. like where it's almost viscous. Um, and relative to the time, since it was so high in gravity and super, super sweet, and it's a really, really popular drink um, all over the Netherlands. And it did stick around in the spirits industry. So the recipes kind of improve over time. It's not just sickly sweet anymore or super high uh, gravity. It's also well balanced and good tasting. Uh, most innovators is sweetened with things like licorice and honey now instead of just adding sugar. And um, it is a protected product of origin, or PPO, so much like um, champagne. It must be distilled within a specific region to be called Yennevere. So the region we know of is specifically uh, Belgium, Netherlands, and then certain areas of France and Germany. Have you ever had a 
uh, Yennefer from anywhere but the Netherlands? I've never had a Yennefer from anywhere that hasn't been produced from the Netherlands. Yeah. I wonder how many of those are on the market. Also, uh, for folks who like gin, you should know that Yennefer is like a way different thing. Yeah. To your palate, it's alien and super strange. And it's got, it still does have that viscosity. It has weight to it. So that's definitely. funky too. Yeah. 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 That's definitely um, something that if you're going to explore, just be ready because if you're, if you're typically drinking Hendrix or London Dry, uh, it's going to taste a lot different. Also, I think um, Bowles is the most famous producer. Bowles University. Yeah. Which is still in the middle of the red light district in Amsterdam. (laughs) So if you're going to visit Bowles, I say just shuck off those like nervous shackles and uh, and all the self consciousness that you have, and just just dive right just in. Dive just dive in, get your bowls, immerse right. yourself <laughs> in uh, in that. Yeah, well, you could. Yeah, <laughs> you know, get after it. <laughs> so, do you think if they have an ice baller at bowls, you think you're real tired of people coming in and saying, "I'll have the oud nenever, pump two bowls, please." They're like, ah, oh, that's our name. I get it. <laughs> I would like some moist bowls. Sure. Sure. <laughs> That's completely the wrong accent. Do you want a cinnamon stick yeah, in there too? Like Do you want to put it on Instagram? <laughs> Let me situate it for you. To jump into one of the things that I'd like to start doing more of in our podcast. Fun fact. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. It also uh, helps out with your bowls comment, right? So um, <laughs> bowls Yenever is... Uh, Please don't talk about it. Specifically <laughs> <his bowls. laughs> it, it, it. Its bottle still has the traditional shape of um, the, the clay and earthenware that it used to be stored in. So they were just called uh, crock bottles, but it has a, it's a super long crock cylindrical bottles. bottle with a tiny short neck. So yes. Very cute. Yep. Another bottles full of bowls. Yep. It looks really weird with a pour spout in it because it kind of looks like <laughs> Beetlejuice at the end when he gets his head shrunken <laughs> in the waiting room in hell. Yeah. <laughs> and his yeah. voice goes through my, God, come on, God. Another fun fact to help you get your bowls, but if you need some Dutch courage, yo, this is where the term comes from. So medieval fighters used to uh, apparently swig a ton of Yennefer right before mm-hmm. the fight. Get you nice lubed up, have your invincibility shrank, that drunk invincibility shrank that I think everyone kind of has. <laughs> There's just so many ways you could do like, this. Immediately, <laughs> like halfway through the battle, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to take a nap. I'm really tired. Could you guys just pause if for I, a second? I bet if I take a nap underneath my fallen comrades, I could survive. Okay. <laughs> were they especially good? Were they, were they especially good fighters? Is that why? Because um, so, you, you get a, a reputation for this just because you're you're hammered and good or you're just drunk? It's kind of a loose, loose, loosely based story. Um, it started apparently during the Anglo-Dutch Wars where they started using the word Dutch courage for how much the, the uh, fighters would drink before they went into battle. But yeah, apparently went kind of Viking style. Just went. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So that's Yennefer, kind of in a nutshell, in a short history. But mm-hmm. then... We now have to bring it over to London to start talking about London Dry, right? So uh, it makes its way over to Britain through William of Orange. So he's a Dutch-born uh, king of England. Is after a succession issue, issue excuse me, with uh, James II. He was Catholic. The rest of the nation was Protestant at this point because of good old Henry. And um, yeah, so they kick him out and they take the Dutchman instead. And uh, he takes the throne and he quickly imposes taxes on Catholic countries as well. So things like wine and cognac now we're gonna which you get, get you. from France yeah. mm-hmm. or certain regions of Spain would be producing wine convenient that then so. his his country of origin's products are not taxed not at all no. let's just so bring all that stuff <laughs> in bring in that Dutch Yennefer instead and you see this People all over it. Europe too like this is in the 1700s yes right so I was just going over this massive um, podcast about Rasputin and uh, come to find out that I didn't know that 
um, the Romanovs, uh, Queen Alexandra, yeah, was German born, yeah, but raised in England, yeah, and you forget just how Literally completely doesn't. incestuous the whole entire European <laughs> yeah. monarchy unit or aristocracy was. Where else like, are you going like, to go for for other uh, to for get other your boils with? And, <laughs> and yeah, and if you're the yeah. you know if, if you're the Dutch born second son of of whomever, what's your career path? Like <laughs> like marry other. Yes, marry other royal people. Yeah, and I'm going to rule some other country. Um, Quick side note about William of Orange. I was listening to a podcast, and you guys might know if this is true or not. Carrots were not inherently orange when they were first started being grown. They were like someone genetically modified them to present them to William of Orange as an orange vegetable. Is this true? I think they were more like parsnips, right? Yeah, they'd be like yellow and white and kind of a pale color. And then, yeah, they were in. I don't know if it, what they were rich with. I assume to present uh, William of Orange. Nice to present to William of Orange. I know how I'll really impress the the monarchy. I'm going to genetically alter a vegetable to his favorite color. Yeah. <laughs> Again, this could all be hearsay. I don't know for sure, but yeah. Also, Soldier of Orange is a really good movie with Rucker Howard. Also, a Clockwork Orange. Not Dutch, though. Not, not Dutch. No. Not, not Dutch. Dutch. No. Anyway, it's distinctively British. So to put it back on, yeah, uh, the twisted British webs of <laughs> The British started drinking Yenever because of William of Orange. Um, they say that uh, they couldn't really pronounce this, the the name Yenever or it was too long for them. So it's hard See, to it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. It's difficult. It's short to Jen and then Jen. Um, so that's what we call it today. I wonder if that's where the name Jennifer came from. You think? Also, if you're out on a date with somebody named Jennifer, don't drink so much Yenever that you just call, call start calling her Jen. <laughs> Come here, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, on. over time, the consumption of uh, of gin um, is is higher in the UK than it is in the Netherlands. So it, its style is more populated and is more populated in the UK. It gets super popular in London, and as it develops, you start to get a specific style in London. So is that um, partial, partially partially um, to do with with just production, like? Yeah, if you well, stop making malt wine, you can just distill four gin yeah. and and botanically flavor and you can crank out a whole lot more of it. Right, yeah. right. In the UK, they don't care necessarily for the malt wine style of it, but they do still like the botanicals. They like the high gravity and they like that kind of clear and refreshing um, taste of the spirit. So like that starts to come through in what you're getting uh, in the UK as well as um, different variations. So London Dry is the later one, you might say, mm-hmm. uh, compared to Old Town, which is one that... Um, is still sweetened and is still made with malt wine, but is a little bit more refined than what we had produced previously, had been producing previously, excuse me. Um, in the in the British history, you also get this period called the gin craze. It is around the 1700s. And there's a huge class divide growing in Britain. So if you uh, know British history already, you know that you've got your kind of aristocracy. Aristocracy? Aristocracy. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Aristocracy, your landed gentry, your, your, your folks who make a lot of money and your folks who make very little money. Um, and at the time in the city of London, gin is actually the cheaper of the spirits to drink. So you've got um, immense popularity growing in the, with the lower classes. Um, the less cheap version of good spirits to drink or good alcohol to drink is beer. So most of your like merchant classes and above are drinking beer. Um, even higher than that, they'll still be getting cognac and wine, and they're just willing to pay out the nose for it because of those taxes, right? So um, William Hogarth is an artist um, 
and he's a 16th century British artist who has two prints that really, really well illustrate this class divide. And um, he has them titled Gin Alley and Beer Street. And um, so we'll send John Cole an insert so he can pop them on the screen. He'll pop those pictures there, up if you like. They are hilarious. <laughs> they are, they are they're absolutely yeah. hilarious in, in their blatant propaganda for for very, beer and very against, obvious against what you think gin. about yeah yeah yes. like oh no guys come here <laughs> i know what we're gonna do as beer as brewers you're uh, you're a cartoonist which makes you obviously the most influential person in the, in the whole entire city yeah. yeah so why don't you draw a print of people drinking gin killing each other <laughs> and then another one of people drinking beer having a really 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 nice time yeah, there's literally people just sloshed on the streets. There's like a woman, there's a woman sitting on, I think, some stairs, and she's just like this, and a baby is falling out of her arms yes. at the same time while she's drinking gin. Uh, <laughs> she's my, just dumping her baby down the steps. Yeah, my favorite is there's a drunk guy who's just dancing, and he's got a baby impaled on a stick at the same time. So apparently children are just dead all over the place here. <laughs> yeah. I stepped out. Uh, I had nine have, like, glasses of gin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not great. And then the other side of him is just like gently buzzed on beer and having a nice time, painting a sign, having lunch with friends, you know. Later on, Abrigori looks at those and he's like, I can do some of this. <laughs> Make it a lot nicer. Yeah. Moral of the story, gin drinkers hate babies. <laughs> oh, yes. So. I mean, I do believe gin was called Mother's Ruin for a while. Yeah. Oh, There's a just, punch. There's a, yeah. uh, I think Death & Co. did a punch called Mother's Ruin Punch. Named after Which this. is an yeah. awesome, awesome name um, for a punch. But yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it's super cheap. You're just drinking it in glasses and it's all you can afford to drink because yeah. you're super, super poor. Also, you just want to forget about everything. Yeah, and you're you're overburdened with your children. So yeah. why wouldn't the propaganda against gin like just go? Oh my God, I've had so much gin to deal with in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna throw this whole baby away down this down this flight of stairs. Meanwhile, some guy from the beer thing comes like trying yeah. to. Like, I'll catch you, baby. Come on, let's go, man. Come here, Jennifer. Let's go, man. Pint. Oh, this this typically. By the way, this kind of like uh, uh, a point in society lasts for about. 40 to 50 years. I mean, it's exaggerated in, in Hogarth's um, print, but it is basically like this in, in Nyusha. Where at least three babies got dropped on the stairs least, per week for 40 years. More, yeah. <laughs> and um, eventually the government does step in. They decide to tax it because that's their best way. This happened with whiskey. We talked about in our mm -hmm. podcast before. So gin becomes crazy expensive. It goes underground. Um, it starts getting distilled with things like turpentine and like sulfuric acid. And uh, it's actually another term comes out of this called blind drunk. Blind drunk. comes from gin yeah. that was being produced underground. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you imagine really what that unsafe. tasted like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally turn you blind. I can. I haven't been out drinking. Yes, yes, I know you have because you smell like tripping. <laughs> <laughs> also, the, all the stairs were foam at this point, too. In case you, <laughs> yeah, the, just ba in the case. babies just uh, gently mm -hmm. bounced down. Yep. Well, after these 40 or 50 years, they caught on. They're like, all these babies just are falling roll. on their heads. Yeah. <laughs> all the stairs made of foam. And everybody was fine. <laughs> well, things get dangerous when they go underground, but they also get super fucking rad. So you do get um, kind of this underground speakeasy vibe with old Tom Jen, which I had mentioned a little bit before. So they were getting it from Tomcats. The Tomcats. Tomcats. Yeah. So these secret gin bars where you could put money in the outside of the building and there would be a cat statue outside of the building. And once you deposited your money, then gin would come out of the statue and you would just drink 
from, from the, the wall. Ca- That's yeah. radical, dude. <laughs> now they had them, the paw the ones, right? And then they also had the, the, the screaming cat yeah. that literally the statue looked like it was screaming and the gym would come pouring out of its mouth. So you would put your money in and then you would go up and immediately start making out with this cat. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just keep walking. <laughs> we should do that here. People can put Money into the Pringles and then door. The Pringles oh, God. Guy. Somebody suggested that. No, I'll just, face. I'll just pop my head out and I'll have gin in my mouth. I'll be like, we'll just mother mm. bird that out to yeah, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, mother bird. Yep. <laughs> Here you are. Actually, you're the best one for it because your beard will trickle. Yeah, we don't need that. napkins or anything. I would imagine that many men were clean shaven because you can't just go up and and make out, make with, out with, with, with cat gin, no. cat mouth gin, and then go home. You no. couldn't get the smell out of your beard. Jennifer would not like it. She would not approve of it. She would hate it. <laughs> Let's workshop it, guys. We'll, we'll think yep. about it. We'll, we'll workshop I need a stonesmith. <laughs> well, it goes underground. It becomes old Tom Gin. But it, in general, they stop, like, cutting it with turpentine. And uh, it starts to become a product again where it's popular and enjoyed. And it gets a little bit of, like, a debonair feel to it as well. And modern-day old Tom Gin is just, is just softer. Much, much softer yeah. now. Yeah, much softer now. When you get something like a Heyman's Old Tom Gin, it just kind of tastes uh, lightly sweeter. I mean, it's not gin. You were mentioning that before. And you've got to remember that the these days it's real tough, too, because a lot of things that are, that are Old Tom are also barrel-aged. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a distinction a, a between big barrel-aged gin and Old Tom, yeah. which is all often or all also barrel-aged. Yeah, but you'll see people yeah. call their Old Tom Gin barrel-aged. Barrel-aged. Yeah. Well, they call their barrel-aged gin Old Tom. Gin so, facts. Yeah. Well, I mean, just if you're gonna, if you're looking to like get something that you're gonna try to emulate a cocktail from like a long time ago, and it calls for old Tom, that Tom Collins, which is what the drink is basically named after, isn't going to taste the way it did with like a barrel aged sweetened gin. Originally, in the Tom Collins, did they use old Tom gin or? So in the original one, they did London use Dry. old Tom, yeah, yeah. and yeah. then it would be topped with champagne instead of soda. Wow! And the name came man, they from, could party. <laughs> yeah, they could. <laughs> came from a newspaper article that was ran, and it was a hoax actually. So they they did use Tom as the reference to a Tom for the Tom Collins and the old Tom Gin, but Tom Collins was somebody who was said to have been like spreading rumors around town, and a newspaper was like. Tell us where you can find Tom Collins. We want to get this guy. We want to get this baddie. Look and in the cat's mouth. Send stuff in, and he didn't exist. So yeah. then they would just write. They'd print the things that they wrote to them, and then be like, "Look at this idiot. Doesn't know Tom Collins isn't really a guy. It's not really a guy." You know? Oh, what a crap! Never even found him because he wasn't real. Anyway, here's two shillings. <laughs> Much better now. Oh. Oh man, old time was some good stuff. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was. It was some good stuff. In the 1830s, though, it does get uh, considerably less sweet. Um, you get more of the kind of bittering agents coming back in from the original medicinal spirit, you might say. Um, and it does last about a, a century. So from 1830 to about 1940 is really when you're seeing the London Dry spirits coming out of the distilleries that we're probably going to mention later and uh, you might know of already. And yeah. And this is cocktail applications now. For exactly. Real. Moving yeah. from, maybe not in the UK yet, but definitely moving from just punch to yes, two cocktails. To things that we might recognize closer to like a martini and things like called Yeah, martinis. sort of. Yeah, because yeah, well, vermouth is later in the night. It was like late 1800s. Mm-hmm. The vermouth craze, the which comes in. was so sophisticated. Nobody put a yeah. print out of the vermouth craze. Yeah, no babies were falling. That's good. <laughs> Mostly of, most of Oscar Wilde stuff could probably be, you know. Vermouth craze. So he was always drinking hock and soda. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So that's the culture that comes from the vermouth craze. Well, thankfully, yeah, no babies impaled. <laughs> Very chill. The, the vermouth craze. Yep. We've mentioned babies way too much in this podcast already. I'm babies and balls. Because it's such a stupid part of the <laughs> print, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. that's the most blatantly, the blatant, most blatant propaganda part of the print. Yes. Right? Is yeah. that, you know, the look at gin's this. no good. Look at this mother. Yeah. This is what happens if you drink gin. That's what what kind of mother does this? This is what will happen to your babies. <laughs> so 1914 is a is a very um, distinct year. It's when gin goes down again. And it's not actually because of lack of um, inspiration for drinking gin. It's actually it's due to the war. All the grain gets sent to the front to start feeding cattle because they're no longer importing grain from elsewhere to do this. You know, you've got to take it straight from home. So uh, distillers can't, they literally can't make anything from nothing, make something from nothing. So, yeah, they, some of them start shutting down uh, or they just get put on hiatus. Then there's a brief pause, and the war starts again. Because so Europe is just burning. Europe, yeah. At this point, World War II, they have grain now. They've started producing. There's larger farms. They've started learning how to produce uh, greater amounts. They've got more industrialization when it comes to farming and equipment. So um, the Second World War stops it because, yeah, literally London is got bombs dropped on it every other day. So, so not like skipping ahead too much. And if, if we are, you can tell me. But uh, when do we, what would we classify as like the actual like, golden age for London Dry? It's later, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit later. So it's so it does um, come from the mid-1800s and then comes back again right till about 1914. And then the gin craze, um, you know, consumption. <laughs> I saw it in your eyes, Foley. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you have to talk really, really fast. You know, oh, okay, so here's, here's a good way to describe it. Spirits are culturally cyclical, right? Yes. Sure. So yeah. gin is super popular. Rye is a really good example. Yeah, yeah, rye is a super good example. But for gin, it's basically like during the pre-war era, and then it does come back post-war because there are still distilleries like Plymouth and Beefeater who are still around. They haven't gotten blown up, and they do still like to produce it. But it starts to become like your parents' spirits at that mm-hmm. point, right? And you always rebel against your, what your parents drink. Yep. Right, yep. right. So so men coming home from the war, they this is also when scotch starts to become a bigger influence. So they'll be drinking scotch, but they'll also drink gin. Um, sometimes gin is known as like a lady's spirit because it's a little bit lighter and scotch is getting more influence here. Yes. And so <clears throat> as it goes on and, and the kids of the people who went and fought World War One, World War Two, are starting to switch into these other spirits. Like it does, Yeah, it comes back down again. So it's another good one, uh, example of that, which is maybe worth an examination at some point is brandy, brandy uh, for us, does, because yeah, you see simple. it, you see it happening it. in like the forties and fifties, but yeah. then it doesn't, it literally almost takes like hip hop culture to bring it back in yeah, like the eighties yeah, and the yeah. uh, or, well, 90s really, but yeah. And then you had it rise up again and then it goes away again and then it comes back again because of um, craft cocktails. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So our craft cocktail boom. Um, in the 90s, obviously, you just mentioning kind of brings about vodka because there's kind of Russian influence there. But um, there's a second gin craze or a more modern gin craze that starts around 2010-ish, like 2009 to 13, they say, is kind of the sweet spot when all those Spanish-style gin, gin and tonics. And just like an explosion big, of botanical. Yeah, yeah, huge botanical. Because I remember before that, it even yeah. seemed like Hendrix was a cute brand. Cucumber. You know, like it was cute. Like you didn't see it that often. Cucumber like, oh, rose. they got that neat little cucumber gin. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Hendrix is like everywhere in producing yeah. like a, a limited release uh, yeah. almost every year yeah. yeah but we'll i mean we'll talk so much about hundreds in the next show that yeah we, we can about. save it for them yeah. yeah yeah so that's kind of a, the history of london dry and how it becomes popular so now we've got to kind of talk about what is what is london dry and what specifically is juniper because juniper is what influences dry gin especially but technically all gin right mm-hmm. so yes because you can't 
it can't be gin if you don't have juniper yes. in there. And uh, it's so strange because we saw people getting into gin, and especially people who are who are older, um, you know, in their forties or fifties, older than you guys anyway. But uh, they would have had gin once or twice, and they would have had probably a cheap London Dry. And hated the way that the juniper was integrated and then therefore still think that all gin tastes like that. Right. And the one thing that we always get the most, every, every bartender gets this, is pine trees. Yeah. But gin doesn't yeah. really taste like pine trees. Not necessarily. Well, sort of. It is the female um, seed cone of a juniper tree. So in a juniper, it does look very much like a pine tree. It's yeah. shorter. It's more bush-like than a tree. But it's got the like needles, for instance, that mm-hmm. we think of. And yeah. Very wintry. I think of it like fun. Do you? Yeah. The juniper berry is more well-rounded than just straight-up pine sap. Yeah, okay. But you get those flavors. Sure. But in but when they distill it in gin, it's the actual juniper berry, not like pine needles or something. Not a, no. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people think that they're literally taking like pine tree needles and distilling it in the not gin. Not unless which it's is like not... marketed botanical gin that uses yeah. pine needles. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The there are ones that do that. Like St. George has that one that's like, uh, oh man, I forget the name of it. Maybe I'll look it I'll have to look it up for the next one. But they have like three, uh, I think it's called the terroir gin. Oh. And it's just, it's gnarly. And it's been literally distilled, I think, with sage and Douglas fir. Really? And if you want to taste one sage that, that kind of, really yeah. tastes like that, like a tree, yeah. that, that gin tastes like a tree. Yeah. All right. I'd give it a go. It's good. Well, it makes me think of um, what is that shorts beer that is the Spruce Pilsner? Spruce Pilsner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like that's a good beer. It's so good, but it's that's very like aggressive beer. and in your face with that spruce kind of flavor. I've 100 percent done a um, beer and a pour with that beer and um, Ooh Jennifer before. Oh yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. <laughs> I like it. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the specific classifications of gin, right? Must have a discernible amount of juniper berry. Discernible is arguable though too, right? Because like, could you say discernible um, coffee that has like, you put a sprinkle of cinnamon in it? Oh, discernible cinnamon flavored. You know what I mean? Like it can be just very minute, just little. Um, Anything from gin, especially London Dry. So it's categorized by all the botanicals are added, um, not to the wort, uh, not to the mash, to actually the distillation process. So no, none of the flavors are added post-distillation. It also can't be diluted post. Um, it must produce 70% alcohol by volume before dilution of any kind of water. Okay. Right? So what you're taking off the still when you're doing your, your sampling, the final product has to be 70% before it's then at its bottles with water to dilute it. Further than that, if you, if you choose, right? Which is a nice high mark. Right. Yeah. Because like navy strength gin, it can be higher than that. Because navy strength gin goes up to like ninety or even hundred. Um, and I don't think, unlike rum, where you've got like navy strength and overproof, I'm pretty sure they just call anything over ninety percent navy strength. No, that's not true though, because uh, like Brokers is ninety four proof, and they don't call it, they just call that a London Dry. Really? So yeah. Maybe, maybe. So it's, it's a, I think it's one hundred and fourteen. Okay, maybe it is that's fair. I, the, 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 My bad. See, everything that I've ever seen called. Navy strength, for the most part, is right around 114. Even Puster's gunpowder proof, is gun- they don't call it Navy proof because it's right. 109. Right. But maybe they just want it to be like, maybe that's their, their branded. Yeah. You did have some fun okay. little facts in here about uh, the historical use of uh, juniper berries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The juniper berry, for those who didn't know, um, it, they've used it with ancient Egyptians. They'd use it against jaundice. Uh, ancient Greeks used to use it as a kind of Viagra, so an invigorating uh, <laughs> berry, you might say. Yeah, they would and just then, chew them. Yeah, 
It would just what, eat them, and it was what supposed about to for give you, jaundice? You just you, what you just uh, you like press them, it, and then you just like give me the baby, just rub it all over. <laughs> <laughs> yellow baby, just give me the tube all over it. They would make a tincture and, and massage it into your skin. Yeah, they would also use that same. <laughs> My way is a lot quicker. Yeah, <laughs> they use that same tincture and put it in uh, face masks, and then they'd sew berries around the mask, and you would use that when you wanted to go out into public during the Black Plague and not catch it. How'd that work? Okay, I guess. <laughs> I they mean, still a lot have of people still died. Worked yeah. enough for somebody to tell a story about. Like, yeah. So, how did you get through the plague? Let me tell you. <laughs> There's these bags. Well, for face mask. Yeah, <laughs> but you do have to pull it down if you want to get some cat mouth shit. But will it save you against like rabies from the cat? That's the next question. That's I don't know. Uh-huh. It's yeah. a wonder drug, though. It's a wonder my drug. cat doesn't have rabies, and for the record, I've never rubbed my infant son with juniper. <laughs> did your infant son have jaundice? He is. He's not currently jaundiced. Yeah. <laughs> also, it says the Dutch used to cook with it for. Uh, they used to, to cook with, it with. Yeah, in wine. In wine, yeah, for nausea and indigestion. Mm-hmm. Upset so- stomach, diarrhea. Juniper berry. Is that that radio ad you do? <laughs> no, what's that? wasn't it like a Pepto Bismol commercial? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> radio ad. Radio ad. Oh, you said radio ad. No, there's a radio ad right now that goes to like, well, it's really employed to talk about bathroom stuff on the radio. So we'll, <laughs> oh, so we'll sing it. That. And they just run through that. all the things that yeah. could be wrong with yeah. you. Yeah. I will say, too, about uh, the London Dry style, right? We call it London Dry, but it doesn't actually have to be produced in London. It can be produced right. anywhere. It's just the style where it's discernibly juniper. And then even though uh, London Dry has botanicals, it's not meant to be like uh, overly botanical in any one no, thing. It's meant besides, to be dry. Yeah. Lean and dry. Lean and dry. Juniper has to be there. Citrus is almost always there. Mm-hmm. Angelica root is often there as well. Um, but yeah, it can have other fruits and spices and herbs and things. Yeah. Like that. It just can't be sweet. Anise I've seen in there. Cardamom you'll see in there. I'm kind of blanking on some of the other ones. but Almost always like some sort of like Citrus peel. Yeah. 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 Citrus yeah. is the biggest um, uh, component in most London dries. Mm-hmm. Which is why a uh, London dry martini is better with a lemon peel than it is with an olive. Please uh, don't put olives in your martini. Mean, just get some on the side and eat salt. them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You want a bar snack? No, in a vodka martini, sure. Hmm. Well, there's nothing in the distillate process, distillation process, excuse me, that would adhere to citrus peel and that right right right, right you don't yeah. you don't have vodka being distilled in vodka most likely that you're gonna drink with right. those botanicals yeah. but then if you just want to add you can just if you need to add the right. thing about yeah. vodka right it takes on whatever you give it yeah i yeah. think the add of vodka is that it should be called unfinished gin hey it's distilled from gin. Gin first years botanical <laughs> <laughs> cool what are you doing uh uh, for summer, because you're uh, vodka. Oh, you're going to summer school because you're unfinished. That's what the gin guy says. Oh, so right, right, right. There was right. a there was a um, there was a big vodka brand that maybe it was a gin brand too that they were advertising their new product as botanical vodka a couple of years ago. Really? It's like, isn't that just gin? Clever. Playing <laughs> to the vodka crowd. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you got for this quarter, Stevens? All right, big deal. We're getting killed by gin. So. We're just gonna be cool. those gin people are all about botanicals, right? <laughs> just pop some in the vodka. What do you call it? Botan- botanical, botanical vodka. vodka. <laughs> Is that good? It's genius. <sighs> good. Damn it, Steve. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Give him a raise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His baby's got jaundice. Anyhow, popular London dry distillers. You guys want to talk about some popular yeah. London yeah. distilleries? All right. So, 
Uh, you brought some bottles talk. out here. I did yes. bring out some bottles. Let's talk first about Plymouth Gin. It's my personal um, favorite style of London dry gin. And, and perhaps for the show, I did have a Plymouth Martini yesterday. At home, it was, was it was delightful. Yeah, it was. Nice. It was good. What did you use for your dry vermouth? Dolan. Nice. Because mm-hmm. I have it. Because we use it here. Yeah. Do you want to touch um, it? I want to touch it, and I want to taste it. Actually, mm-hmm. Plymouth was do. made. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> Black Friars Distillery. Excuse me. Uh, since 1793, so there's actually a little friar engraved on the back of the bottle, like in Boston. Oh, that's a boat. Well, this no, is clearly a, a, a naval ship. Yeah. No, you got, but back you, there. Can you see them in between? Oh, it used to be. I think. I think you could see him through. Oh, the, it's the in bottle. the glass. Oh, what? Like, a, like I think the older bottles of Plymouth had him on the back, like Elmer T. Lee is, and you could see him, like yeah. Ah. He's just he's just hanging out. So in this one, he's actually on the back of the glass, and glass it has been um, kind of put on a sticker behind it that you could look through. Um, and in the middle of the 19th century, they supplied over a thousand casks of navy strength gin per year to the British Navy, which is where that ship mm-hmm. does come from that you mentioned right beforehand. Good on them. Mm-hmm. And 19, uh, 1996, Charles Rolls of Fever Tree did buy the distillery. Um, it's now a brand part of Shabazz, uh, Shabazz Brothers, and therefore also part of Nod Ricard. Which is one of, the, one of the most powerful beverage portfolios yeah. in the yeah. world. Mark, you've got a sip in front of you. Would I do. you say that the nose is soft? Heather mixed with a piney juniper. Yeah, would you say Heather? Of, you know, I yeah, would Heather. say Heather. Yes, yes, yes. She's and great friends with Jennifer, too. <laughs> and mentholated sage. That's what I have written down now. Booms, I like to think you have an impeccable palate. And yeah, I do find all of that in there. Also, too, a very present um, citrus note on the back end as it dries out. Yeah. Lots of, like, lemon peel. And this is a little bit... Yeah, this is um, 82 proof, so... Forty-one percent uh, alcohol by volume, which is softer than a lot of like London other London dries. Yeah. So, um, I I noticed that when I was when I was drinking that martini because mm-hmm. usually I, if I get a martini, I'll get it with botanist or Martin Miller's or yeah. Tangray Ten, and uh, it's it. I love I love the strength of a good martini, but that one was extremely balanced, nice. and it was I used a little bit higher percentage of vermouth, you know, because I was having a pre dinner and I didn't want it to be super strong. And I thought it was it was wonderful. And I haven't had a martini with Plymouth in a really long time, and that one was just so balanced. Nice, yeah, yeah. it's really good. Plymouth is one of the distillers that's um, been around for a long time, right? Since you see more botanical distilleries coming out, they still produce London dry styles. But this one's one of the ones that we use original recipes. And you can't call it Plymouth Gin unless it's this one, pretty much, because I had read somewhere that to call it Plymouth Gin, it has to be made in Plymouth, and there's only one distillery in Plymouth. Gotcha. Which is oh, yeah, these yeah. guys. Which is yes. Plymouth. Yeah. Yes, and I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's regional. <laughs> extremely, extremely, extremely regional. singularly it's regional. It's regional. It's regional. It's craft. It's craft. It's craft. Yes, crafted. yes. Another gin distillery that's been around for a long time, and a lot of people know it, is Tanqueray. So Charles Tanqueray established his distillery in the Bloomsbury region, Bloomsbury. Uh, which is in the West End region of London. In the West End. In 1830, so a little bit later than Plymouth. The West End, the West End. I don't know um, that song. The Pet Shop song, right? West End. The West East End Boys, West End Girls. East End Boys and West End Girls by the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. I know like South Town Girls, but that's about it. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> Mark, stop hanging out in those parts. Of- we'll save anyway. that for when we do uh, Minnesota Aquavit. Oh, <laughs> Blair holds steady yeah. the whole entire show. Yeah. Charles Tankray chose his region, by the way, because of the uh, quality of the water, is what he said. And that area was super high. And it's one of the most recognizable names uh, in the gin in in gin, but then also in the industry and in the world, 
because it's now um, helped along by Diageo and is currently produced in Cambridge. Yeah, on a worldwide basis, you can't really measure how massive Tangeray is. Tangeray. It is it is the powerhouse brand, and honestly, it's one of the big brands that I I still have never really found anything to pick at. I I tend to do that when things are super popular. Yeah, and I still love Tangeray. Tanqueray is bomb. How do you Tanqueray? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Tony Sinclair. Right. So in the early 2000s, this is another awesome thing about Tanqueray. Uh, so Tanqueray decided to create like a spokesperson out of this character that they invented. And they did like four or five ads. And it was always some ludicrous situation. Like a guy is like diamond precision cutting this ice cube that's going to be plopped into Tony Sinclair's drink. So this, <laughs> this total nerd is over here at a party and he's, he's like hanging out by the shrimp cocktail and he's not just eating like one shrimp cocktail, but he just like starts eating like 17 prawns and he's like filling his hands with prawns and then it would cut over to Tony Sinclair who was like young and, and chilling and, chillin and super, super, super hip. Yeah. yeah. And he would utter some catchphrase like, you know, with the shrimp. Uh, something to the effect of like it was in shrimp. It's the same as tangeray. Everything in moderation. <laughs> Are you ready to tangeray? <laughs> a shrimp cocktail, much like a regular, regular cocktail. cocktail. Yes. yes. <laughs> Everything always in good moderation. To be in moderation. <laughs> that is great marketing, right? Yeah. yeah. It was always either ready to tangeray or this is how we yeah. tangeray. I saw those in college or like post college. It's like, what is this guy? <laughs> so I have to. I think about it every single time. That's how advertising works. I think about it every single time I drink tangeray. It's this this dude mugging at the camera saying that. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's good. And then Tanqueray Tan, which we all know as well, right? So Tanqueray and Tanqueray Tan, uh, the biggest difference between the two is the, the addition of botanicals, right? Still eight botanicals called, instead eight of four. Yeah. Still called London Dry. So you've and got, it's Tanqueray Tan, but not because of the botanicals, because it was the recipe number, I think. Yes. 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 I would like to make a little Jungle. tasting aside on this too. I feel like Tanqueray for a lot of people has this connection in their mind of it being super just like piney or sprucey or junipery or whatever but it's actually on tasting it by itself it's very sweet and it's loaded with citrus on the finish yeah and, yeah. and it's, it's really really balanced mm -hmm. yeah that's lovely i yeah. haven't tasted tangerine by itself in a while it's very fun. impressive um so we don't have a bottle of this next distillery up here but i'm gonna talk about it anyway we do have a bottle of it but it's beefeater pink which is which is <laughs> awesome it's not gin though it's gin liqueur it is gin liqueur but yeah. it's awesome <laughs> it is nice in the summertime but beefeater was started by james burrow uh who was originally a pharmacist uh, that's actually how a lot of bars got started they'd be pharmacies that people would go to you get a little bit of your medicine you get a little bit more medicine you have a little bit more medicine you chat and stay a while um you get pretty much lit to young uh, bartenders you're not doctors or pharmacists. No, please no. do not give that type of recommendations. But yeah, he bought he bought an already existing distillery in Chelsea, so that's central London now. Very posh. And launched his brand. That's exactly it's a very very posh region of London. Launched his brand in 1876 uh, and is currently made in Kensington. That's been since the 1950s. Um, like Plymouth Beef Eater's predominant flavors are juniper, citrus, and then coriander is a big one. Um, a lot of people say it tastes like lightly of hops, also. And it is named after the very famous British royal guards who stand outside of most royal palaces, for instance. And then, and then, like people just try to tease them. And, but the whole the time, time they're eating the steak. Yes. <laughs> Le boeuf. Beef eater, as a rel relative to British people, it's because Le boeuf they ate beef, and the French did not eat as much beef at the time, so they just because of frogs. Beef they eat frogs. Because of frogs. Yeah. Oh, and cheese. Yeah. Now we're getting into Not. territory. I don't want to mention frog no, no, no. eggs and fish eggs. The French eat <laughs> and weird dog. Shit. No, French eat awesome. Love that too. Yeah, strange. Yeah, I love I love French food. 
I also just like standing outside of buildings eating a steak. Yes. Like a, a castle? You're defending a castle? No. I just, like, a, T-bone? like a bank. <laughs> a family video. <laughs> oh, R.I.P. family videos. R.I.P. family videos. Sit down there on the stick like, oh, you can force Gump, huh? Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about the Academy Awards in 94. <laughs> John feels very passionately about the Academy Awards in 94. It's a, it's a travesty. It's a travesty. It's when I knew at 14 years old that they didn't mean anything. And I'm sad for myself that I didn't get there before before that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Finally. Let's talk about a more modern distillery, boys. Yeah. You guys want to talk about Martin Miller's? That's yeah. my name. Any relationship to you? Uh, hopefully. You got an Uncle Martin? Uncle Martin? No. I got an Uncle Randy. Your dad is Mike. Got Mike's my dad. I got Uncle Rob. I got okay. No Martin's though. Ours and M's. Though. Yeah. All right. Martin Miller's is a gin, uh, more modern brand. It got started in 1999, and uh, it, he Martin Miller of the namesake. He said importing Icelandic water and adding cucumber essence to the gin is what makes it so clear and refreshing and, and delicious. Um, it is distilled in Langley in two batches, first with roots and spices, then again with citrus and cucumber. Where is Langley? Langley. Uh, no? No, I don't know specifically. Where. It's a place. Is it Does like, it say it on the back there? Close. close I mean, I wonder if it's just close to London. So they don't have to be produced in London. Don't forget. No, right. Yeah, but it can be near the region. It is British. Well, distilled in England, yeah. So yeah. Was, um, yeah. And then finally, it's diluted with the Icelandic water. But he makes it a point to dilute the more bitter herbs and all that. First on its own, and then again with citrus peels. So Martin Miller's is a very clean uh, gin. It's yeah, very, very clean. And it makes yeah. a really lifting martini, which is really great. Rika, the vodka uses Icelandic water too. There's so many like Nordic place. words and names on this. It's like, because the water so comes from water. north of Reykjavik, standing by Borgafjordur, is a small village of Borgarnes. You don't know how to I don't think no, you're saying that no, right. No, certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, fun to try to pronounce. Anyways, yeah. here's okay. some Martin Millers. Here's some smoked fish. Way, if you will. Ooh, yes, because this one here's has a, here's a Bjork. Bjork. <laughs> a Bjork. <song. laughs> Bjork. No Bjork. She's from Iceland. Oh, what's Bjorn? Oh, baby Bjorn. That's the things that babies. You or, would know this more than I. I know what baby Bjorn is. Peter, Peter Bjorn and John. Is That's Peter a different Bjorn band. Who wrote a song called Amsterdam? Well, Back to the Dutch. Back to the Wolves. Yeah, yeah. The only one who doesn't really fit is Bjorn Borg. But he was a good tennis player. The reason why I wanted to pour of this one is because it's got um, oh, heavy it's notes so... of lime, orange pips, tangerine, lemon, juniper, coriander, and then that little bit of cucumber. That is just beautiful. Isn't it? It's crisp. A beautiful gin for a more civilized age. <laughs> they also make... <laughs> Martin Miller's, if you want to take that, you can. But I'll take a cut of it. They also make a Westbourne style, which is stronger with the same botanicals. And it has a thicker mouthfeel, vegetal with big, bold lemon. And it says it's semi-waxy and zesty on the finish. See, this one should be also a little bit waxy on the finish. Yes. I would say so. Yes. Hold on. I got He's going to throw some into a CBD No, water. this is empty now. And I want to taste the Martin. I poured too much of the tank right oh, out of all right, and then the last uh, last distiller that I brought up is another modern one, more modern. So this is Sipsmith. 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 Say that five times. Sipsmith. Sipsmith. Shit is even newer. Are you a mixologist? No, I'm a Sipsmith. Oh, what does that mean? Nobody knows. All right, it was started in 2009 by Sam Galsworthy. 
Um, right at the beginning, the heights of that second boom gin that I had mentioned, where like kind of those Spanish botanical styles started being really, really popular, they crescendo around uh, 2013. Galsworthy actually had zero experience distilling, so he hired a cocktail historian and now sips with his master distiller, Jared Brown. Uh, he consulted way back then uh, when it was a, in a converted garage in Fulham. <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> Which I, is southwest. I got a ton of money and we're going to do this. We're going to make gin. I don't know why I want to make gin. I, got, I went to Spain. I got really, 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 really hammered. Now I think it's a really good idea. I've read a couple of your books. You seem to know a lot about gin. Do you want to make some gin? I don't know how to make some gin. You're going to make some gin and um, you're going to not, you're not going to fuck it up because I have a lot of money. <laughs> so you got to, you got to do this. But, uh, but I only wrote a book. You're going to make the gin. It's going to be great. I'll get you a lot of, a lot of equipment and uh, you'll just read a couple books. How are you the fly on the wall in that conversation? That sounds exactly I just, I like can't how I imagine understand. it would be. Well, I would have a British accent. Oh, right. Try it so again. So instead of saying, don't fuck it up. You say, no, <laughs> don't, fuck it up. don't cock it up now. Yeah. I can only do a gangster. You can only do, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Southwest London. So yeah. To be a fly on the wall in John Foley's brain. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's just it's what's so interesting about it, right? Because you've got a cocktail historian. And yes, you probably I understood the distillate. Historians. Fascinating. Yeah, but are you ready to distill Sipsmith tomorrow? Without doubt. Outstanding. Let's do it. <sighs> yeah. She's jumping in bowls first. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good at a lot of things, but I'm not great at anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, currently, Sipsmith is made in Chiswick, and I'm still in Chiswick, so just outside of London. And um, their historic origins keep them focused on that London dry style. Mm-hmm. So even though it was produced in 2009 when the height of the botanical boom uh, was arising, they prefer to stick to that early style. And that's what's interesting right now. Like so many of the really up and coming gins or ones that are they're newly well known are not true London dry style because I think the applications for cocktails are so great that the botanical style is almost more utilitarian now for a lot yeah, of people. So, I think so bartenders are pulling those brands and people are getting branded to them because they're drinking them and shaking cocktails and stuff. With sure. mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So it, it, we, there's a little bit of a paradigm shift, um, but I still find London dry to be my favorite style probably because I had it first and it executes my favorite cocktail the, in, the, in the most complete way. The martini. Martini. The gin. Mm, martini. Yeah. And I still always pull, um, I still always pull London dry for a Negroni too. I do Even though botanical gin. gins are wonderful Negronis, yeah. I always pull London dry. I think London it's dry. that citrus pop combined with the bitter Campari. I'm just stubborn citrus. with it. That's yeah. just the way I want that drink to taste. Yeah. I like it that way. Well, and speaking of London Dry Negronis. What did a you segue. see Hell, how I did that? You really I did just, well. Yeah, that's that's very good. Well, what up, right there for you. Uh, we're going to make a Negroni. Are we really? On camera. Wow. We're going to do it. See, I got this, lucky. I did not know what cocktail you were going to make ahead of time. No. Well, you know, we this, don't do any pre-production for this show. Well, we usually have our drinks ahead of, like when we did the Tiki podcast, right. we had the drinks ahead of time. But this time, you guys get to watch how we do it. <laughs> the next time. Yeah, I think the next time we do this, I'm going to make a zombie. I'm going to throw <laughs> elbows everywhere. So grab bottles. <laughs> Um, Booms, I do need your assistance real quick. Yeah. I forgot to grab a strainer. Well, let me so if you wouldn't mind. Um, so basically, it's all already in there. Mm. We did it. It's the Negroni classic gin cocktail, like you were talking about. We prefer to do it with London dry gin. For this one, I use Tanqueray. But the Negroni is really simple. It's all equal parts. It's one ounce each of London dry gin, uh, sweet vermouth. In this case, we like to use Kopi Torino yes. here at the bar. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Campari, which is uh, Italian bar. Paratevo, let's do it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So we're going to stir it up. I got ice. No. Off screen. Off screen. Off screen. <laughs> Not from the floor. Not from the floor. No. <laughs> it's in a bucket, I promise. Cat mouth gin, yes. Floor, floor ice, ice, no. Floor ice, no. 
So you're going to give it a stir, 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 stir. Obviously, when you're stirring cocktails or shaking cocktails, you want the shaker or stirring vessel or whatever. You can shake it or stir it in a boot as long as you see it get a little bit frosty from the ice. Kind of get I'm it in the camera. Shake your cocktail in a boot. A shaking cocktail in a boot? Yeah. Well, you, you have to get another, the same other boot, the other foot boot, and that's how you lock it. It's two boots. Oh, so right, right, right. Wait, and you're going to stick the tongue of the shoe? You know, you break it at the, at the back of the ankle, and it pours right out. All right, hand me your glasses, Along you turds. Whatever lint uh, uh, you have in there. Mm, te texture. So normally this would be served on ice, but we, I mean, I have ice over there, but we don't need any. I don't think. Does anyone want ice? No, no, I'm all right. Be good on ice. It's a camp and growing. Yeah. Beautiful. And then, to finish it off, because we spare no expense here, a little bit of orange zest is the traditional garnish for the Negroni. Yeah, sometimes people plop a whole orange slice in there. You could do. Which, I don't know. I, I don't love, but I don't hate it either. I just, I don't. For your booms? Um, I won't spike it, though. I don't yeah. want any of the orange juice, actually. Yeah, orange juice, I don't think, should ever no. be in a Negroni. No, it should be no juice in a Negroni at all. But you do want to give it a good little, uh, just, just I'm just <laughs> Stop that. I won't say it. I won't Come say on, it. man. Did you guys know? Oh, you don't want it in there? I usually take that. All right. I'm well, if the, if the ice cube is there to keep it down off my sure, lips, sure, sure, sure. I don't want it to like chew on the orange. The precursor to the Negroni is, of course, the Americano. Yeah. Which yes. is a fine cocktail. Yeah. A few of those ingredients, yeah, Campari and sweet vermouth, yep. or Maro and sweet vermouth, mixed with soda. And then a guy, Count Negroni, I don't remember so his first say, name, yeah. it's something very interesting, walked into an Italian bar and asked for an Americano spiked with gin. And then people got wind of that. Yep. It sounded super cool. Started coming in asking for the Americano, the Negroni. Good idea. Eventually becomes the Negroni and loses the soda. Still one of the best cocktails out yeah. there. Yeah. Well, cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Classic gin Negroni. All Why right. Drop. Mm. Yes. Such a perfectly well balanced yes. cocktail. Yep. Really nice. Lifting, slightly sweet, nice and bitter. Yeah. Bittersweet almost. <laughs> See what I did there? You <laughs> That's a new word. It's bittersweet. bittersweet. Oh my god! No, I don't think anybody's ever said. Hold that the press. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just really elegant cocktail. I'm a big fan of Negronis. Me too. And also, a ne the Negroni can vary based on again what kind of gin you will put into it. Yeah, so like or, or proportion. One, yeah, proportion yeah. too. Yeah. Like I said, for this one, I use Tanqueray, but Martin Miller's would be fantastic, mm -hmm. and it'd be a little bit more like. Citrus zesty, I feel like. And a lot of the Irish ones are really good. Yeah. Are really good yeah. We'll talk about some of them next week. Our next episode. We're yeah. going to skip. Next gin episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna yeah. Be a gin bit. two is probably going to be coming closer to the spring and summer because those yeah. botanical gins are really, really great for that time of year. Mm -hmm. Now it's winter in London. Dry gin is very attractive. So. Yeah. Piney Christmas trees. All right. So that's London dry gin in a nutshell. In one nutshell. In a bowl shell. Mm -hmm. A shell for your bowls. Yep. <laughs> from a cat's mouth to yours <laughs> cheers everybody thank you very much for joining us for london dry aka drunk dunch, dutch soldiers and cat mouth gin hey. we'll see you next time cheers guys cheers